Welcome to the Best Kept Secret videocast and podcast from Centricity. If you're a B2B service professional, use our five-step process to go from the grind of chasing every sale to keeping your pipeline full with prospects knocking on your door to buy from you. We give you the freedom of time and a life outside of your business. Each episode features an executive from a B2B services company sharing their provocative perspective on an opportunity that many of their clients are missing out on. It's how we teach our clients to get executive decision makers to buy without being salesy or spammy. Here's our host, the co-founder and CEO of Centricity, Jay Kingley. I'm Jay Kingley, co-founder and CEO of Centricity. Welcome to our show where our guests share their provocative perspective on what their target market is missing out on. I'm happy to welcome to the show, Nick Kobayashi of Open Door Consulting. Open Door Consulting is a career coaching company helping employees achieve career objectives through professional mentorship. Nick is based in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here today. Nick, I have had the pleasure in my career of being both an employee and an employer. And one of the things I learned that's the hardest thing to be an employer is having employees. I mean, if you step back and you think about it, the challenge with employees is we're dealing with human beings. Just like snowflakes, no two of us are alike. We have different goals, we have different motivations, different aspirations, different personalities. And trying to manage that as an employer is very, very challenging indeed. As an employer, one of the challenges is if you get it wrong, people get upset, people get disgruntled, and people leave. Turnover is very disruptive financially, it's disruptive organizationally, and it's disruptive when it comes to delivering your service to your clients. So every employer shares the goal of having very low turnover, of keeping staff who are critical and essential to your operations, but we often struggle to figure out how best to do that. So we're in a situation where we read a lot about this environment called the Great Resignation. Uh, there is, we're in a very tight labor market, uh, so there's lots of demand for staff. Employers are struggling to hold on to key staff. Nick, as one of the best career mentors out there, what is going on? Yeah, thanks, Jay. Um, you know, I think uh, with all of the statistics and surveys that are out there right now, uh, what I'm seeing, um, in addition to, you know, all of the the feedback that's out there, um, a lot of employees are leaving just because they don't see a, a path for growth. Um, and individuals um, just are really unsatisfied with their their path for career growth. Nick, what's causing this feeling among employees who aren't seeing a bright future for themselves? Well, you know, honestly, Jay, it goes back, uh, it goes back a couple of decades. Um, if we go all the way back to the early 80s, the shift in the employer-employee relationship really changed. Um, you know, before the 80s, um, really even before the 70s, the employer-employee relationship was one where the employer um, took the stance that they it was their responsibility to give the employee the information, the education, the training that they needed. Uh, along with that came this responsibility and kind of this burden 
um, and this relationship um, to develop employees. Um, and that relationship also kind of budded this long-term and lasting relationship so that the employee was engaged and stayed longer, um, you know, to in lasting into the 20 and 30 year mark. Um, but in the 80s, um, politically and socioeconomically, that shift happened in the 80s where now all of a sudden employees um, or employers started treating employees as commodities. Um, and then when economic um, time started to decrease, um, employers could start laying off employees. Um, and, you know, if the economy tanked um, and you could lay off an entire division of employees to save the company, they would do so. Um, and now as we get into the 90s and 2000s um, and we start talking about employees as A players, you know, we start using this analogy of sports. Um, employees are even looked at as sports players on teams where they're kind of traded and given away um, as commodities to other teams and competitors. So um, that relationship really changed. And along with that relationship, that mindset changed, even when it comes to training and development, where that development um, and responsibility has now moved to employees instead of employers. I had my first full-time job as a chemical engineer for DuPont back in 1983. So I was sort of at the back end of that time when the employer employees said, we're going to be in this for the long run together. And I can remember within, I would say, the first month, I realized that working as an engineer was not for me and that I was much more interested in business and marketing. But here I was deep in the technical part of the organization. And I said to myself, I have to get out of here. So in two years, I will make my move because back then, two years was the minimum time you had to stay on the job so that you weren't viewed as a job hopper, which would hurt your abilities down the road. And uh, I ended up staying for three. But then as the decade wore on and as we got into the 90s, as you said, I started to have a lot of friends from my time at DuPont and they started moving, sometimes involuntarily, sometimes voluntary. And when I would speak to them, I really got a sense of how the relationship was changing and from what they felt and from what I have understood, it really was initiated by the employers. And you can call this karma because what goes around comes around. And if you treat your employees like commodities, then they are going to treat the employers like you're all equivalent dime a dozen and you're a commodity. And now we have this much more of a, if you will, free agency system where there is no such thing as loyalty. And if one side believes the other side has breached their promise, they're going to act immediately. Unlike myself, who felt like, well, I had a minimum of a two-year unwritten uh, commitment. Given what's really at the root cause of this issue of employees leaving, it, what do you do about it? You know, every business, I think, and especially small businesses, really need to establish some sort of talent development program for their employees. Um, if they're not doing it, if your business isn't doing it, then you're really behind the times. Um, it's something, it's a responsibility that employers need to start picking up. And it's something that businesses, especially large and successful businesses that are at the forefront 
are already recognizing that they need to do. Um, and it's something that's kind of being signaled with benefit packages in terms of, you know, paying for tuition reimbursement and things like that, um, that we're seeing on the HR front. Um, but it goes even deeper where you have some large employers that are creating kind of their own internal university programs and training um, and development programs and things like that. Um, and even those key corporate buzzwords that, that we hear about. Um, like succession plans and things like that, that, um, you know, we've been hearing for years, but if you're not doing it or haven't been doing it for years, you really need to implement some sort of conversation or program already to get on board with it. When you think about these talent development programs, the pushback that you'll sometimes get is, why should I invest in employees when they're not going to stick around? So if my employee tenure is too short and I invest in training them, aren't I incurring the cost for some future employer to get all the benefit? How do you respond to that pushback? It's a bit of a chicken or the egg dilemma. Um, but, you know, in all of the training and data that's out there, um, the statistics that, that I've found um, out of 40% of the employees that leave in their first year, 40% of them leave and cite poor training. When I hear that argument saying, you know, we invest all of this time and money into employees and then they just leave, um, I start to ask questions about what training programs look like, how effective they are and start asking the questions around what material is being trained, um, whether it's on the job, um, whether it's all digital, whether there's any kind of relationship, whether it's culture-based. The other part of it also ties into whether that training is focused on career growth. You know, tied to that 40% of employees who leave in the first year and they cite that it's poor training, out of those employees, only 26% of all currently employed employees actually believe that they're reaching their full potential. And I think that that's really interesting tied to that first year, um, you know, data and then um, Clear Company also did a recent study as well, um, citing that 76% of employees that were currently searching for jobs um, said that they're looking to advance their careers. Um, so, you know, with this whole great resignation, we have employees that are in the market that are either employed or unemployed. And they're looking for jobs, not because they're looking for lateral movements, but they're all looking to make moves vertically. Um, you know, nobody is looking to just stay where they are. Everybody's, you know, feeling some sort of stagnation in their current role and they're looking to move up. And then the other interesting statistic kind of tied to that 76% is that companies who invest in training and development see an average 24% higher uh, profit margin than companies that don't invest in training and development. Um, so you're kind of seeing that trade off between, you know, those employees that are looking and the companies that are seeing higher profits. So, you know, when you're looking at that chicken or egg scenario of we invest in, you know, whether we want to invest and then see employees leave, you have to start looking at whether you are um, investing the training in the right areas um, or whether you're just 
you know, giving them the bare minimum to do the job. Um, and that's really the questions that, that would need to be asked about the training programs. So this is what my takeaway is from, from what you've said so far, is back in the 70s and 80s and, and accelerating uh, in the 90s aughts uh, and, and continuing, was this idea of employers treating employees as commodities and then being shocked when the employees have no loyalty back to the employer. Well, let's not make that mistake again when it comes to career development. And it isn't chicken and the egg. It's what you're saying. It sounds compelling to me is as an employer, part of the cost of employment is developing your staff and investing in them, giving them the tools, continuing to allow them to be relevant, continuing to give them opportunities that align with their passion and what it is that they want to achieve. And that's got to start with the employer. So get it right this time, guys. And maybe we can create an employer-employee relationship that is a whole lot more functional than I think what we have delivering. So, so Nick, let me ask you this. If you look at the person, the executive, who's going to be making the decision on investing in career development and career mentorship, what's in it for them by embracing what you're talking about? If it's somebody that is overly concerned with losing their staff, the real investment there is making sure that they're getting that good night's sleep making sure that they're not going to have to wake up and, and replace that staff, making sure that they are investing that time, that money, that effort into the staff and that that staff is still going to be there tomorrow and making sure that that staff and that time wasn't wasted. Um, recruiting is an expensive game, uh, especially right now. And the longer their recruiting time is the longer and more expensive that recruiting um, cost is um, and making sure that that training and development isn't wasted and making sure that the institutional knowledge that that employee walks away with um, if they decide to leave um, making sure that that knowledge still stays within the organization it causes a lot of anxiety for managers especially right now um, knowing that turnover is very high having a an implemented training program that you know increases engagement and increases retention um, would definitely help a manager sleep better at night, uh, definitely increases that engagement, increases the trust in their team. Let me throw another thought at you, which I, which I think is as important, maybe even more important. When I think any leader who has spent time mentoring uh, a more junior person, giving guidance and direction, helping train them, helping to make that person a better professional feels such a sense of pride in being able to impact other people's lives. And what you often get back is gratitude. And there's nothing more wonderful than someone coming up to you, even if it's years after the fact, and saying, Nick, I just want to thank you. You gave me such great advice, mentorship, training that you've really allowed me to become a better professional and make a better impact doing something that I'm passionate about. And I just want to thank you. And boy, when you're on the receiving end of that, it's just magic uh, to hear that. So there's absolutely all the bottom line, let's get our green eye shade on and do the numbers. And it's a compelling case. But 
I also think there's a tremendous emotional reward. And as people, we are emotional beings. So I, I think it's it's fairly overwhelming. Let's go on to how do I make this happen? Case is strong. Um, what are the key steps that I need to do to implement this kind of a program? Yeah, there's two two quick assessments that I would do uh, to implement something like this. Uh, the first assessment is make sure that uh, or assess the qualitative objectives of the of implementing this type of program. Um, and when I say qualitative, I, I really mean something that's above kind of smart goals. Uh, I think that everybody that has um, been a part of, you know, performance approval process is kind of aware of what SMART goals are. But I, I think you need to take a training and development program kind of the next step above that. And so, you know, you don't want to be in the realm of quantitative where you're saying, you know, we just want to we want to implement this to reduce turnover. You want to really take this to an objective level, not a goal level. So you want to take this to a quantitative level where you're saying, we want to prepare this employee to be the next supervisor by including them in um, crucial conversations or disciplinary conversations or developmental conversations with line level staff. And that can be very challenging because of all the implications that it, it implies. Um, they may be sitting in on very difficult conversations with peers, and et cetera. Um, but that's the type of assessment that needs to happen. The second assessment is challenging in its own right as well, because you have to honestly assess if the right knowledge, experience, and tools exist within the company to actually achieve those objectives. And what I mean by that is really take a look at whether you have the current managers and supervisors in the organization, in the company to actually achieve that level of coaching, mentoring, um, and leadership to prepare that next level of, you know, management leadership and, and mentoring. Um, and it's very similar to succession planning where you have to sit down and say, all right, do we have somebody to replace our CFO, not just from a finance and skills perspective, but do we have somebody that can really lead the organization from a financial management perspective? And that can be difficult because sometimes the answer is no, and you have to go and either develop those skills or you have to look outside the organization. And that's very difficult. The third thing um, is you have to commit to the investment of time. And this is almost the most crucial step because um, I believe that any dog of any age can learn a new trick, um, but it takes time, patience, and a willingness to teach and to learn. But if Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours um, is true, then it takes nine years to ma master a professional craft. And if you adjust that curve for employees, you're looking at you know, a minimum of six months to a year to master just the proficiency of things. So you have to also adjust that curve for employees and make sure that you're looking at that curve for new employees. And a lot of employers want to make that curve maybe a month or 90 days, and they may not want to commit to a full six months or a year if somebody's really struggling to pick up skills. 
It's not often you get a second chance to do something right. Employers blew it in the uh, late 80s and 90s uh, into the aughts. Now there's a chance to reestablish a very constructive, mutually beneficial relationship with their staff along the lines that you're talking about doing what it is that you suggest. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to learn a bit more about Nick. Are you wondering how much longer you have to grind and chase for every lead conversation and client? Would you like clients to knock on your door so you no longer have to pitch, follow up, and spam decision makers? Well, Centricity's Category 01 program uses a proven five-step process that will help you get in front of the decision makers you need by spending less time doing all the things you hate. It's not cold calling, cold email, cold outreach on LinkedIn or any other social media, or even spending money on ads, but it does have a 35 times higher ROI than any of those things, leveraging your expertise and insights at your prospects and network value. The best part, even though you'll see results in 90 days, you get to work with the Centricity team for an entire year to make sure you have all the pieces in place and working so you can start having freedom of time and a life outside of your business. So email time at centricityb2b.com to schedule an 18-minute call to learn more. Welcome back. We're talking to Nick Kobayashi of Open Door Consulting. Let's find out a bit about Nick. Nick, let's start with what are the pain points that you solve for the clients that you work with and why do they need you to get rid of the pain? I work with professionals who are looking to fix that uh, little little something missing in their professional lives um, and really just to help equip them to take the next step. Um, I provide that little in, inside perspective on how to negotiate job offers, prepare for interviews, even if it's changing careers entirely, just, you know, if they want to want to pull the e-brake and make that 90 degree turn. Um, um, and even if it's just preparing for retirement, I've also had a lot of conversations with executives about what that shift looks like. Um, a lot of executives that have been, you know, working those 70, 80 hours a week and are not really sure what they're going to do when their calendar isn't full and managed by their assistants. Um, it's been it's been a really fun challenge moving into that that new space. Your service is really critical to anybody who is going to work with you. They're going to want to have the confidence that you're top of the game. I don't think they're out there for an issue like this saying average or mediocre will do just fine. So Nick, perhaps you could share what is it that makes you great at what you do? I've been in corporate HR for 15 years, um, and I I know um, all of the all of the inside and outsides of what employers expect of employees. Um, I know all of the the ins and outs of applicant tracking systems, um, all of the questions that uh, interviewers will ask, all of the negotiation tricks um, that HR. Um, and employers will ask. Um, I know all of the, the ins and outs of benefits and everything else. So uh, I know kind of the other side of the table, which helps me get that inside track on, on helping my, my clients to, to then negotiate their way um, and ask the right questions. And so I, I give that kind of empathetic response to um, 
you know, all of those questions. And I've also been an employee too. So I know all of those hesitations and fears that people feel when they don't know what to ask or if they should ask um, in those spaces. So I can give uh, a lot of those, a lot of those answers to say, yes, you can ask for this, or here's how I would ask for this so that you're not putting off somebody and asking for a salary that, that they don't feel like they deserve, um, that they do deserve, but they're just not sure how to ask for it. Um, so it's a, it's a really neat way for me to use my expertise in, in corporate HR and, and also help out the employees that, uh, that I've been helping out for 15 years. Well, I encourage our audience to go to your LinkedIn profile, Nick, take a look at the experience and your background. And I think it will be a very, very supportive, as you've suggested, as to why you're very good at what it is you do. But I've got a little bit of a different question for you, which is what's happened in your life that would most explain why you do what you do? In the course of my career um, in representing employers, um, I've been laid off several times um, from those family, um, you know, cultures and, um, and it always hurts, um, you know, being that HR representative and being that kind of heart of the organization, um, and then having to, you know, kind of betray that trust for employees. Um, it's, it's hurt, right. And there's a little bit of, um, almost post-traumatic stress of having to build up that trust, with employees and then having to turn around and let employees go. And then also after having to do that, um, being let go myself, um, there's a lot of trauma involved with that. Um, and so, you know, psychologically, I can tell myself that that's just kind of part of the job and that's the result of it. Um, but, you know, turning that into a business of my own that then turns around and wants to help people um, is really what explains what I do today, because I want to continue to help people um, and relying on my experience and everything else is is what I want to do and why I want to do it. This is such a critical topic to most everybody who is working for a living. And I have no doubt that we've got people in our audience that would love to reach out to you and continue that conversation. What's the best way for people to get in touch? Yeah, best way to get in touch, uh, email me, nick at Open Door Consulting, or reach out to me by visiting my LinkedIn profile and get in touch with me there. Well, I learned a lot today, and it's really given me, I think, a much more balanced perspective uh, from the employer versus the employee, and not looking at it as a zero-sum game, really looking at how do you create a win-win, how do you do the right thing for your staff and develop them and mentor them professionally and career-wise. And as you talked about, the returns uh, are going to be off the chart, both quantitatively and emotionally. So thank you, Nick, for sharing your insight with us. And I know that you're not a, an easy guest uh, to get on a show like this. You know, you made me get down and beg and plead for, for you to uh, to come on and really make us look so much better. And I know that others who also do B2B shows are, are looking at our show right now with a little bit of envy, 
a little bit of jealousy. So Nick, you think I would be happy. You think I would just say, how awesome is this? But I'm not wired like most people. I view myself as the advocate for our audience. And I'm always thinking, how can I get even more value that we can pass on to our audience? And I'm not about to change now, Nick. So here's my challenge to you. I want you to up the ante. How about a little gift for the great people that are listening in? All right. What I'll do, Jay, is um, I'll give uh, a first, the first uh, coaching session uh, for your listeners. Uh, so one hour coaching session for free. Um, or um, I also do a digital coaching membership. Um, so I'll do the first month of that for free. Um, your listeners just have to send me an email either through my website um, or directly through my contact info. Um, and then they just have to tell me um, that they heard me on uh, the Best Kept Secret podcast. Um, and then um, the, either their first um, coaching session or their first month of digital coaching uh, will be free. Audience? What's the lesson here? If you don't ask, you'll never get. Thank you, Nick, for both sharing your insight, your wisdom, your perspective, and for the great gifts to our audience. So thank you to our audience. Let's continue to crush it until next time. 